0: Welcome to Tone Vendors, my name is Renee Coronado, and with me today, as always, it's Tim Muirhead. Hey, Tim. Hey, Renee. How you doing? We've got a pretty cool roundtable today. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. First person to join us is Colin Hart from hearteffects.net. How you doing? Hey, Colin. How are you, man?
1: I'm doing well. Doing well. Thanks for joining us today. Of course. Excited to be here. Colin's been a production
0: mixer on Alejandro Iñárritu's Carne y Arena. Ooh, you were doing that?
1: That was cool. Uh Uh-huh. You
0: had some Foley and editing roles for God of War 4, XCOM Gears of 2, War. Gears of War. Sorry. You had some Foley and editing roles for Gears of War 4, XCOM 2, Skylanders, Superchargers, and Star Wars Battlefront. Mm-hmm. You can find Colin on Twitter at Colin Hart. Also with us, you're going to have to help me with your name again, Emil. <laughs> <laughs> but it? Was perfect? <laughs> is that was that it? Yeah, no, that was great. It's Emil Klusch and Tilman Hahn from Tonsturm. Hi, hey, thanks for having us. I've been saying your company's name wrong since you founded it. <laughs> Me too. Sorry about that. <laughs> I've been saying Tonsturm, and it's not. It is. It is Tonsturm, as in a tone storm. So, all of us English native speakers, that is what it is. Very good. Thank you. <laughs> Hey guys, how have you been? All good.
2: Thanks for having us. So finally, we made it to come to your podcast. So really excited. Yeah. Yeah.
0: You know, I was thinking of you guys from the moment that electricity library came out. And so I'm glad we we finally all got to come together here. Yeah, Yeah, I love that electricity. (laughs)
3: It's awesome. I've used used that so much. (laughs) Thank
2: you. Thank you. Awesome. I mean, that's maybe nine years since it has been before nine years or so when we recorded it. So long time. Yeah.
0: So the overall form of this of this roundtable is the conceptualization and production of of dangerous and complex sound effects libraries. The the one that you put out recently, Colin, is the Gators Library. Yep. And the Tonestorm one that came out uh, just now is the Raging Fire Library. And yep. those are mm. all just spectacular works. Mm-hmm. So you know we'll we'll just kind of go around a little bit and talk. Um, Initially, let's start at the beginning. Let's talk about conceptualization. When you're dreaming up the next library to, uh, to go do, how do you approach structuring what you're even going to go attempt? Uh, Colin, why don't we start with you? Uh,
1: for me, so much of it is what am I just interested in? What, what is going to inspire me naturally? Uh, with the Gators library, I didn't know what a Gator sounded like. I didn't uh, have any idea what I was getting myself into. It was just, it sounded cool, and I wanted to figure out where that went and it just went for a long time. Uh, with a lot of other stuff, I try to figure out what's needed, what I think I would be good at recording and, and, and mastering, and again, just what would keep me inspired through the process.
0: So you're doing some market research on the front end, you're just trying to figure out where the holes are?
1: Um, not only where the holes are, but where I think I could improve, um, and just try to dovetail that with, with my interests, what, what will be fun to do, what will be entertaining. <laughs> nice.
0: And, and Tillman and Emil, when, when you are deciding to start a new project, what is it that, that determines your direction?
4: Well, um, I think that the most important thing is that Tillman and me are both excited about the subject. And the moment we both decide, wow, this is such an interesting subject. And we're thinking, uh, because we're both also sound designers, and we're thinking, okay, we could use it. And we're just so thrilled to uh, to experience uh, this whole sound area we're entering. We go for it. And then, I mean, a lot of
2: things are happening. Then the whole research uh, starts. and yeah. Tillman? And, and, and maybe it's we at the beginning, so... For example, that fire library was really tough because we started with recordings like we recorded nights long and came back to the studio and it was a lot of stuff uh, sounded like really like a fire can sound really hissy and unspectacular or crackly sizzly. So we really, we we drove uh, because we can't record in Cologne, where we are based. And we, we drove to a location, recorded the whole night, the, the obvious things first and came back. And yeah, uh, and that was two years ago. Oh, wow. So since we are mm, recording on it since two years and and for a lot of tollenstrom libraries, or we started at some point with that, it it was okay. We have to record at different locations in different rooms. Uh, because sounds really sound different in different locations and you don't just want a dry perspective or so. uh, Yeah, and then I'd say after the first initial recordings with doing the obvious, maybe it's the same if you do sound design for a project, maybe start with the obvious, obvious things and then then the research starts and begins, and um,
4: yeah, and a lot of testings, a lot of phone calls, calling people, uh, you know, to get certain things, to get permissions, to get good locations, to research uh, what can we do, what is dangerous or what not, and so on. And then experience it, then makes the errors or makes good things, and then keep on going from 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 there. Yeah. So it can be a long and tedious thing, of course. Yeah. Yes, of course. I mean, especially fire was yeah. a bit insane. Sometimes, uh, Somehow it
2: gets longer and longer, we take on a library <laughs> somehow. And not like quicker and quicker, I don't know. Yeah.
0: Well, one of the mistakes I think people make sometimes when they're putting a library out is they'll go out with their microphones and they will assume that everything that enters the microphone, everything that they record is something <laughs> they had to edit and release.
3: Yes, um,
0: <laughs> yeah. and you know, so you know, broadly the question in, in the context of the of the work that you that you guys are doing is, you know, what percentage of the recordings actually make the final edit? Well,
1: for Gators, uh, very, very, very little. Um, I, I don't know the exact number of bellows or actual sounds or, that are in the library. There's 75 files, but that's probably whittled down from a thousand to two thousand sounds that were recorded, at least. Um, was that a gator there? No. <laughs> it sounded
2: like. Yeah.
3: It sounded like. Yeah. <laughs> that was some kind of muscle car flying by my house. Sorry about that, guys. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: no, but I can't imagine. Like, we, we didn't do, uh, I think, anything with animals right now. And yeah,
3: that's it. Yeah, Colin's kind of laughing at you guys in your two years in production for your library. <laughs>
1: Well, no, I've been working on some fire stuff for for at least three or four, so they've got one up on me there.
3: But your gator library, you've been working on it for over seven years, is that correct?
1: I mean, not straight. It wasn't like my main goal for seven years. Um, One of the biggest issues I ran into was just the gators only really make a lot of noise for two months out of the year. And then it's just kind of hit or miss. So there was only two months worth of recording every year and i only had access to the park Uh, at that point i was uh, teaching and i was doing other things so you know it was whatever morning but that i could give up um so it's usually two mornings a week for eight weeks and and that's all i would get um and then you know you'd have to reschedule for next year and say okay this is what i didn't like this year and this is what i'm going to try next year and then you have a a year to pull together you know 20 foot long subwoofer (laughs)
2: <laughs> and they were patient with you.
1: Well, the cool thing about the place I was working at is it it's kind of a, a theme park for kids, kind of like a zoo type of place. Um, but it started out as a gator rescue. So, okay. you know, there's different ponds with different gators. And because of all these gators, there are tons and tons of these crazy looking birds uh, because there's no predators because the raccoons won't come near it because they'll just <laughs> eat So um, all these birds have their uh, nests there and gator mating season, which is when they're loud, also coincides with really (laughs) loud bird hatching season. But that attracts all the National Geographic photographers. So now I'm dealing with noisy birds, Mm. photographers everywhere, and, you know, trying to make this library in the corner. But because of because everyone wanted access, it was easy to get in okay. Yeah, okay, and it was, and they would let us in three or four days a week before the park opened. So we could get in about six thirty in the morning and work until about ten.
2: So they were used to that. Uh, yeah, yeah, because thats what what we experienced too, like sometimes you have to get on nerve on the nerve of of yes. some people to to <laughs> really especially
1: yeah. Yeah. Especially animal people. Animal people are weird. I don't know why. They're (laughs) protective of the animals. They're protective of the animals. But they also don't understand what you want, um, what you're trying to do. And yeah, I try to explain to them I like animals. I'm not trying to exploit them. I'm just. Yeah,
2: and maybe they become afraid like, oh, what what do you want to do to all animals? Yeah. 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 The
0: funny thing is, your library sounds like a long, slow burn version of my hockey crowd's library. because I did something similar. So I went to every single hockey game for an entire year and set up a, you know, set up a quad or Professional hockey game. Yeah, of, of, of NHL hockey. And so I had a press pass and so I could go. And so I was like, well, I'm screwing up if I don't go. And so I would go and I would set up, you know, one day I'd be, you know, up in, you know, in the nosebleed seats and one day I'd be under the bleachers. But, but one day I set up on the camera platform and that was a huge mistake. I couldn't use any of it because those cameras were all clickety, 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 clickety the mm. whole time um all those still cameras and then yeah and so it was the same thing it was just show up, show up and show up and show up and show up and then you just call it all down at the end of it i think i actually put i don't know something like 15 to 20 percent of what i recorded out which was a lot um, yeah because yeah. <laughs> i was doing and whole games
2: sometimes maybe it's it's cool with emil and me but it can uh, always uh, also be like yeah that one one of us starts with like i think we have to kick out out these sounds and then the others may be like, ah, really? And it's, it's like both of us start kicking out things or because it's with yeah. sometimes if you're hearing the stuff yourself, you, you your brain makes it maybe sound better than it is and then <laughs> the, a, a fresh uh, the other brain comes and says oh no i don't like it then maybe you have to sleep over it and think ah, why doesn't he like it and so and then you hear it back again and think yeah okay he's right we we, we have to yeah that's true like 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 in tremor uh-huh.
4: I think in Tremor it was a very long time. We, we uh I, I forgot about it but but, but I just remembered and uh-huh. with Tremor we did all those recordings in the beginning, if you remember, at at I think Yeah. Also years
2: years before the final recording.
4: Years before we did the final recordings and then we listened to it again. I think we it all away all the old stuff. And yeah. just made up everything new so yeah it's it's hard to say in percentage how much we really keep and how much but because it's yeah it it
0: depends it depends on uh on what you're recording
2: on the topic it almost yeah, sounds like topic. you're halfway
0: through it before you realize you're even making that specific library because of all of the experimentation yeah
2: yeah maybe yes maybe yeah. Yeah,
0: yes yeah and it's always i mean and and, and experimentation is just
4: such a big part of it and uh, so important you know to really think about how could this sound if you use this and this and then you go going to experiment and then you see oh wow this goes into this direction and then we can take it further so i
2: think that's a very important thing is the experiment with the sounds only only library where this was different totally different was massive explosions There was there was <laughs> no. not so much experimentation. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> two days, and we were lucky. Like uh, from the weather, from the birds, it was a great location and and everything.
0: Yeah. Although with with fire, it seems like you'd still not have a whole lot of latitude to experiment. It feels like there would still be a lot of we've got to pre-plan this for you know safety and access and everything else. It's not like you can just you know light up a bunch of gasoline in the in the booth whenever you want. No. Yeah.
2: <laughs> but in the rooms where we were, this fabric hall or so, we went there a couple of times and we could experiment there, like really? doing it two or three times. That was cool. But okay, the burning cars. Mm -hmm. that was that session yeah Yeah, and don't do it again (laughs) and you don't want to do it again yeah yeah
4: it's a mess it's a mess i mean it's such (laughs) yeah but 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 the car needs some time until it's burned out so yeah in in this time during the car burned we could uh, move the mics and try out new things and listen to it and but yeah of course
2: but we had to find that location and we were pretty sure that location is great for this and we wouldn't have done it on a yeah on not the perfect location yeah
3: those those car burning recordings are amazing when the tires explode yes oh it's so cool
2: That wasn't planned. So, while <laughs> recording, we got a big smile on our face.
4: Yeah, Yeah. that was, <laughs> that was really interesting, it's true. Yeah. I think the whole uh, the whole organization and the whole research before is also which mics yeah. you will need, which mics do you rent, you know. you of, of course, we have a lot of stuff, but you need to rent, obviously, you need to rent some more stuff. And of course, we have a, a professional chief blaster mm-hmm. for such things of course we cannot go there uh, yeah. take a car and just burn it you know i mean it's germany
2: here we are we, not, not allowed we can do yeah, that. We're not,
3: yeah all right okay like we're we are not
2: allowed to do this so so even even if this was um what do you say notified at the police uh, station there so they they knew what it was uh, going to happen but uh, their team changed like three times during that day and the next shift didn't look or wasn't informed, so they dro- uh, drove out and thought, uh, yeah, this was an uh, attack or something uh, because there was this big smoke coming out <laughs> uh, in that small village and this black smoke. And then I stood, we stood there, and it was kind of funny. Like a police car comes, a burning car. Big black smoke, and uh, the police looks at us and what What are you doing here? And then we just uh, um, show them the direction to our chief blaster, uh, like uh, 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 Werner is his name, (laughs) and he's a more rock and roll looking guy or so. But he has all the papers and shows them, and they say, Okay, cool, and then they drive off again. (laughs) yeah, that was
4: uh, nice. With a burning
2: car in the background, yeah. with the officer in the foreground. It
4: was really funny. But Vern is a very experienced guy, so he, yeah. knows, he, he knows how to handle the police and the, everything, you know? So, yeah, you need to have
0: this. That's an interesting kind of segue into, into something that's useful for everybody, which is about access and clearances. How did, how did you approach your relationships with the people that got you access to uh, what you needed to for the libraries? Colin, how did you get into the Gator thing?
1: I had a friend that knew about this place, and he had done like a premiere of some film he had worked on there long ago, and he knew the owner's daughter or something like that and and, kind of sent me off in the right direction, and and then the rest from there was just research and phone calls and uh, emails and and showing up, uh, just chasing the right people down. You
0: ever just show up with microphones?
1: Oh, yeah, all the time. I'm totally the, uh, you know, uh, just do it and ask for forgiveness later the forgiveness over permission type of guy, but, you know, it's not quite that simple when you're dealing with a, you know, 15-foot reptile that can eat you. (laughs) So to get the access into some of the places where the public couldn't get access to it took a lot more effort. Yeah. But for small stuff, I totally just show up and record (laughs) until I get yelled at.
0: And then Emil and, and and Tillman, when you you were talking about your your paperwork and you had you have a person in charge of all of all of your blasting, how did you even find that person?
2: Lots of telephone calls too.
4: Yeah. Yes, I think it was um, to to found Werner. It was really internet research and then phoning a lot of people. And then at one point, just while phoning with this person, just recognizing, wow, this is a guy we need. It's 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 like he's one of us.
2: He's crazy <laughs> enough. Yeah, he's crazy. <laughs> He also worked on like he does like uh, building blasting and worked on film sets too like and yeah that's that's always helps.
0: That's a good resource is film commissions and, and and film industry ties for for pyro specifically. Yes
4: yes and he know all and and, and he knows all um of those uh, uh, how do you call it Emter uh, Tillman? EMTA? Um,
2: yeah ah, the um, the office
0: official Guys you need to
4: ask for p- permission. In- yeah. yeah. And most of the times he knows those guys personally from each area because he's doing so much film work. So when we hire him, it's, it's his job to, you know, to phone to those people and say, okay, we will blast a few crack <laughs> or, uh, you know, burn a few cars or blast a few bombs there. And, but, you know, of course, with the uh, massive explosion, it was a very special type of thing because we were working with the military there. And you normally are not allowed. We were in locations where you're normally not allowed as a civil person. But Werner is um, has friends there. Oh, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this was a way into this military, um, and 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 they had um, some exercises. The, uh, the military yeah. had some exercises where we uh, we had our own chief blaster and our own bombs and our own explosives. But they also blew up. I don't know, like. Twenty thousand yeah, twenty thousand euro in two days, you know. They blew it up. <laughs>
2: So, and we were allowed to record
0: it. Yeah, you might as well, right?
2: <laughs> yeah, well, we, were, we rented some stuff as well, but it wasn't like for the sound, it wasn't sometimes the crazy amounts they packed together. Uh, or at a certain amount, you don't hear so much the difference if it was like three kilos or two kilos. Ten. or I don't yeah, know. well, it yeah. was
4: 10 kilos in the end. And yeah, yeah, in the
2: end it was 10 kilos. Then it's more the location maybe in the end or so. Yeah, but yeah, yeah but... It, it's nice if you hear, oh, that was 10 kilos now. Oh, great. <laughs> you yeah. so feel yeah. better. Or the tank,
4: <laughs> the, uh, the in, in our massive explosion, says this uh, tank anti missile. And one shot of it costs like 5,000 euros. It's wow. crazy. Just one wow. shot. They didn't do it for us, <laughs> but we could record <laughs> yeah. it. So it was just a very good chance. Plus, our own stuff where we could decide, okay, what we wanted to have. But yes, this, is, this was luck for us.
0: That's also the really nice thing about the the guides and the access points is that they tend to know a lot about the thing that you are trying to record, be it the animals or the explosives or whatever. And so you can get a lot of information about the specific thing that's happening in front of you from the people that give you access. Yes.
2: I'd say with every library, you get a sort of expert or or a bit nerdy information and things, or you you get more interest, like after electricity, uh, we knew more stuff. Some of it I I forgot already, but during (laughs) that time when you do the library, you get an expert. And it's interesting, the the person, you obviously deal with someone who is like with the electricity library. This guy, he had all this stuff in in his garage there and built it all himself the devices and so and he he studied this in this field and so but he got to know his thing and we always ask sound questions like does this sound good does this sound interesting and they get to rethink their their nerdy topic with sound and for them it's it's a new approach to to think in sound then and and say like ah it could maybe sound boring maybe let's try this and so and then they they get going as well and think there and think and so on. That's interesting too.
0: Yeah. Something I do sometimes is I'll have my my gatekeeper kind of slate into the microphone what the heck is even happening. So when we did the a tr- a trolley library a while back, I was just asking the the conductor, "All right, tell me about this trolley." And he would tell me the exact displacement of the motor and how everything worked. And he would just say all that into the mic. And now I have all this information just pre-slate. And then I just aim the mic at what I'm about to what what he was talking about, and I'm good. You know. Yep. Yes. Yes.
4: Yes. Yes. Absolutely. I think what is very nice is that you meet a lot of people who are nerdy in totally different ways, but they often really appreciate that you are so interested in their nerdiness. You know, like in uh, the clocks library, we managed to get those people who are collecting those big tower clocks And they have those tower clocks and it's like a subculture where where, where they spend their whole <laughs> life. It's, it's very interesting. They spend their whole life in how they have to prepare those tower clocks so that they sound very good. And it's often, and interestingly, it's it's about the sound for those people. Yeah. Like, like uh, so this one guy we had, he was sitting down there in the afternoon or in the evening and turn on all the clocks in his room. And he had like, I don't know, 15 or um, I forgot and he just sits there and listen to the concert of clocks isn't this nice you know <laughs> yeah. it's very nice a very normal person you know it's not a sound person except for but that. <laughs> yes except for yeah. that he's just sitting there and he's just listening to all these clocks I felt it was very touching somehow, and, and I, yeah. but I could relate to it because it sounded very beautiful.
2: After that session, we like we burned a CD for him to listen our recording. So this is the nice stuff around it too that you have. Uh, yes. Yeah, you shared something. Like some some people came and yeah.
0: Yeah, for sure. So, talk to me about microphones as as you all are are prepping what you're coming at. Which are the mics that you that you're go to? You have to have it on everything. Which are the ones that you're bringing in? Which are the ones that you're experimenting with? Colin, I, I mean, I'm I'm assuming for Gators, you just had a, a nice shotgun that you were happy with, and that was kind of it, right?
1: Uh, we tried, uh, I think, five or six shotguns over the course. I know we use a 416, an NTG-3, an MKH-60, I think we tried an MKH-70, and a CS-3E, uh, as well as a KMR-82, uh, 81, sorry, the short one. And a lot of it was just, okay, this sounds great, this gator sounds great, but I can hear this bird in the background. Or this gator sounds great, but everything that's off-axis has a weird off-axis-y, you know, swish to it or something. That's the 70. uh, (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So, um, and the NTG, th- uh, three. So a lot of it is just what's going to sound best in my environment. And that with the Gators library was a lot of trial and error. Um, In general, I like to have the CS3 with me everywhere. Because, you know, as is a a common topic in this industry, there's so few quiet places left. There's nowhere easily accessible that's going to be quiet. And if you find that perfect sound in a noisy place, uh, the CS3 is a great option to have with you, like a secret weapon type of thing. Um, I always always uh, have my MKH. 50 with me as well it's my favorite mic um, ever it's such that's what i'm recording this podcast on. it's so
0: good <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> sorry the last
2: one i was just googling a uh, cms3 what, what's the last mic you mentioned colin the, the
1: mkh50 yeah okay yeah Sennheiser.
2: and and uh, cs3 is uh, from that sony mic the cs3e is a Sanken mic
1: Ah, the the, the one
2: 100 kilowatts yeah because there's I just
1: uh no, no, it's it's the one, it has it's a shotgun mic, but it has ah, uh, this three one. capsules in it. Um so it as it has the interference too, but it also actively cancels. Yeah, I I know, I
2: know. I know. C- C-S3. yeah,
1: yeah,
3: yeah. Is that what you have, Tim? Which is your shotgun? Uh no, I have the Sankin CSS five, which is the ah. uh, stereo shotgun mic.
1: Gotcha. Which in mono mode is very close to the CS three. It's yeah. not quite okay. as crispy, but it's as narrow.
3: Yeah, it's a little louder, though,
1: from what I understand. Yeah, it's a little noisy.
3: So did you have to worry about wind protection and making the gators think that there is a raccoon on the end of your boom pole? Like, how did you deal with that? You know, that was,
1: that was kind of weird. They didn't care for the most part. So when we first went out there, it was not in mating season, and they were not doing anything. And this is actually how I ended up breaking the boom pole. I was there for, like, four hours, and I was bored out of my mind, just thinking, "What? how do I get anything to happen right now? So... You know these gators are just kind of floating around in the water, not even moving. They're underwater creatures, and you know their nose is out of the water for so long that it's completely dried off. So you know you start bopping them on the head, just trying to get any reaction out of them. And, and you know how you just slap an
3: alligator in the face. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So you know I got a little too comfortable doing that after no reactions for two hours, and one of them decided to bite at the at the. <laughs> uh, the, the sock. And it, it got the, the wind sock off of the blimp, but the blimp remained intact, luckily, because that one had an MKH-60 in it, so that would have been a bad loss. But at the time, I was not quite paying attention, and the boom pole was resting on a railing, and the gator snapped the boom pole pulling it down, <laughs> um, which uh, was unfortunate. But we didn't lose any gear.
0: And <laughs> well, Tell me about the, the subwoofer situation there, too. What was going on with that?
1: Well, after... A while, it be- it just kind of felt a little futile because we were coming in at 6.30 in the morning and these gators, like naturally, when they bellow, it's a mating call thing. Sometimes it would happen at 7.30, sometimes it would happen at 8.30. Some days it just wouldn't happen at all. And it's usually like one of them started bellowing and then they all just kind of set them all off and they all started bellowing. And then they'd stop after about five to ten minutes on a good day, and uh, that was it for the day. And, you know, I'm traveling, you know, hour-and-a-half round trip to this place every morning and getting five minutes of potential recordings. After the first year of, that was a year and a half of doing this, I talked to uh, my friend uh, Ann Krober, who is a fantastic wildlife recordist with... Friend
3: of the pod. Superhuman.
1: Yep, she's been on her pod before. She's great. Yeah. She's a superhuman animal skills. I love her story about the monkeys sitting around her. I think there were lemurs and uh, talking to them about the microphone and everything. So uh, I talked to her about it and I talked to my friend David Farmer about it, who was at the time working on uh, the Hobbit movies and was interested in the gators sounds as well. And they both talked to me about finding a way to trigger the Gators by playing back sound. So, you know, we started with a little tiny portable Bluetooth speaker. It did absolutely nothing. But the first time we got any reaction from them at all, we had a JBL Aeon 15 or 18-inch speaker that we brought in in a baby stroller and played back some of the recordings, some of the better recordings played back to these Gators. And they originally, the first time we did that, they started all swimming over and formed kind of a semicircle around us, like a bunch of kids listening to a story or something. (laughs) Um, And eventually they started bellowing. I don't know if it was from what we did or they were just going to do that anyways. So we're like, all right, we got something, but we need to go bigger. I didn't really have a way of getting that much bigger than that, you know, but it just so happened that I had gotten enough press or whatever from the original Gator recordings that the BBC somehow found out about what I was doing and wanted to record these gators for a show that they do. And they had an episode on animals that use infrasonic and uh, supersonic sound. And both elephants in the Sahara and gators use infrasonic sound. And they had previously gone to the Sahara with this guy that designs subwoofers. These has really weird rotary subwoofers. It looks like a fan, takes almost no power. It's like 200 watts. And uh, uh, makes an incredibly loud, forceful sound. But they had attached one to their truck, their safari truck, and mimicked thunder. And elephants run at thunder whenever they hear it because they're trying to find rain and water. So we decided to try making something like this for the gators. And he built, used these huge sauna tubes, which are used for construction to hold cement, like cement form tubes and he tuned them to my original recordings, which I had sent to him. Uh, and when, when I say he's a sound engineer, he's like, you know, I call myself a sound sound engineer, but he's a sound scientist. So he like broke it down into, you know, whatever he does and tuned these huge tubes, these two tubes that he put on the back of a trailer. And they are probably 20, 25 feet long with a cutout with a fan on either side of them. And we backed them right up to the lake and I asked him how loud he could go, and he said probably about 135 to 145 decibels at, <laughs> at 18 to 19 hertz. Wow. So then we just turned them on, and, and almost immediately it triggered these gators to bellow. And then, you know, we turned them off, did a bunch of recording. Once they stopped, we turned them on again, and they would start again. So yeah. we did three days, uh, four days with them doing that and uh, got a ton more stuff that way. Yeah.
0: <laughs> That's dedication right there.
1: Yeah, well, that was uh team effort as well. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. And and would you
2: say there was a difference in the way how they responded from recordings that happened spontaneously?
1: The biggest difference for me, I don't recall the animals actually acting different, but previously we were kind of just trying to guess which one was going to go next and you know, they kind of make this position right before they do this, and you can kind of sneak over to them. But one thing that uh, we found out, David actually came out recording with us a couple of days, and he the first day he wore an orange shirt, and anytime he would go near a gator, it would stop. We figured out that it was seeing him approaching, and they were being very timid. So being able to trigger them, we were able to set up closer to the gators we thought were going to uh, bellow and kind of predict which one was next. And if we if he didn't go that time, then we'd do another round and, and eventually be able to get closer, which is how we got some of the super clean recordings.
0: Honestly, I'm surprised that a big step like that, that the, the park people were cool with you putting giant subwoofers in the water. <laughs> yes.
1: oh, oh, they weren't in the water. They were next to the water, but they were trying to buy them. The, the owner was trying to buy them from this guy. While we were there, because he was oh, so nice. impressed,
3: so he wanted to use them like as part
1: of a show for the kids, kind of thing. To yeah, I guess to make them all go, because it's a very impressive thing. And the one thing that <laughs> Poor I, gators. I, <laughs> I know, I know, right? The one thing that you could never reproduce in those recordings is the way it felt, because when. When that first initial rumble happens, you know, there's a boardwalk that goes through there and the whole entire thing starts shaking. Like you can feel it down your spine before the louder audible sound happens. Wow. So a lot of times we would know when a when a bellow was coming because you could feel it happening right before you could hear it.
3: That's cool. That's yeah. terrifying, I think. you might.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah.
0: So, to step back to microphones on, on the fire stuff, you know, as I was looking through the metadata on the Raging Fire, there is a vast, impressive array of microphones that you have up there. And I was, I was commenting on the field recording Slack that this was the first set of recordings that I've found that has started to sell me on that Sankin CO100K. A lot of the other recordings that I've heard with that particular Sankin mic, I just don't love how it sounds at normal frequencies. Ah, um, oh, so, strange. Yeah. This one was like when I started pitching your fire down 60 and 30, you know, and and this was at the 96K version. There was still so much there. I was like, okay, that's really cool. That sounded cool. So talk to me about microphones and about your approach with microphones for fire because fire is notoriously difficult. Yeah. First thing
3: yeah, you do just, when you're recording fire is only use rented microphones. Never use. <laughs> <bathroom>. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Indeed,
4: it was very interesting because we we, we recorded a lot more than uh, Vissi Zenkin, um, than a lot more.
3: Uh,
2: yeah,
4: yeah, a lot more, and we screwed it all away because. In so many cases, the sanken didn't perform very well. Of course, the sounds we have in it, we liked them very much. Otherwise, we would not have uh, put them in. But to get good sounds with the sanken, I don't know. It's a ratio of I don't know 20% of 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 what we record with the sanken. Maybe less is in. And that and, and the reason was that the sanken was often sounding too. How
0: would you say? It's too bright. It's harsh. Yes. And, and it's yeah. Harsh. yeah. And it lacks a little bit of that the the bigness of like an eighty forty or an or uh, an MKH fifty.
2: Yeah. Yes. Or the meat of a four sixteen. Our yeah. m- most preferred mix were the four sixteen, and that was also uh, there. We have to give credit to to uh, Tapio who recorded the great flamethrower there. And. Um, so yes, when yeah. we heard his recordings, we were like, oh, the 416 sounds really great on that flamethrower. And that was when we started to rent 416s as well. We we didn't have any uh, until that moment. So these in a, in a wider stereo setting were for the fire. Most of the time, our preferred recordings. And the Zanken, the least, we like them on our creature library a lot. I think for that stuff, they really perform great, but you should always have a different kind of microphone for the if you don't pitch the recordings, I'd say. Like for the future, we would, would never just record with the Sanken, so there would always uh, have to be a, a, another mic too. And from now on we will uh, do more with the 416s and and chirps. But, yeah.
4: but of course, if used, uh, if you have it in, I like those uh, Sanken sounds also, but Yeah, Yeah, it just was a few, just a few sounds we have in there. I mean, it's not just a few, it's it's still a lot. It's a huge library. (laughs) It's it's just a huge library. So I like those sounds too, but seriously, it was the hardest. uh, Yes, the mic which captured the fire, yeah, not so good not so good like the rest of the microphone so but, do, but the, I got to
0: say the stuff that made the cut was amazing though I mean the stuff okay. that actually passed your bar was um was really again I, I was sitting there listening to it and mm. pitching it down and even pitching it regularly and and I was yeah it was yes. a, it was a a version of that mic that I had not heard yet
2: great thank uh, you we maybe we'll have to give it a listen to uh, uh, again,
0: yeah, but it's interesting to me that you threw out so much of it though. That's that's um, uh, that's an important piece of information for me. <laughs> we, we were
2: big fans of the AKG D900. We um got introduced. Is that the kick drum mic? No, that's a crazy mic. The AKG
4: D900E, it's a dynamic shotgun. It's a very long mic, it's a very, very long mic, it's not commonly used. Very few people just use it. It's very vintage sounding. You super end, vintage
2: sounding. Super
4: yeah. vintage sounding. You never could use this as as your only mic. So it's a very narrow narrow range, but
2: it's so sweet. It sounds <laughs> a bit like the recordings from the Valentino sound effects, you know. But uh, <laughs> but it's really ah even on the car recordings and then if you introduce like limiting on that recordings later on, like in your designing pro, it's just like um, for the car crackling or so, the crackling never sounds technical. It, it, it doesn't, these, these crackles are not on the recording. It sounds different. And, and for fire, that was really good because you don't want, the hissiness of the fire, and you don't want just the low air, the uh, like uh, the rumble on the on the membrane. You want something in the midst, and uh, that's what, yeah. Yes,
4: absolutely. The mids were like a little bit like I don't know. Could we say? I mean, of course, it's very warm and like a little bit li- liquid. Yeah. You know? I don't know. You know, like yeah, yeah, like, yeah. like a nice mid-range liquid. I don't know. It's very nice. <laughs>
0: i got to check that out.
4: It's yeah. really interesting and, and, and it lacks a lot of the details. All the other mics are collecting, but that's yeah. a good thing, you know, in this case. Of course, not if this was, was your only mic, but to have this kind of flavor with the rest, I think a lot of yeah. those sounds you could also use very nice for uh, distant sounding stuff, but I don't know. Sometimes. If, if I don't uh, look at the mics, I don't even hear that this is a vintage mics for some fire sound. It's just a very special kind of sound.
2: And now we're uh, back more experimenting with Scherps again after long, long years of doing a lot with Sennheiser. And yeah, maybe it's because after years of working with some mics, you, you maybe it's just you want to work with other mics, but we're so we are regular. I mean, that's interesting about field recordings. I mean, for a sound design or so, it's almost plugins. You try sometimes to um, incorporate, uh, bring in some hardware or so, but then time schedule and you there you are with plugins again. But with field recordings, microphones is still something that that is not replaced by software or so. And, the way you capture something with a microphone, like when we say it has this vintage flavor or so, you wouldn't get this kind of vintage flavor from another microphone, like from a clean yeah. uh, a microphone maybe that captures, like from a Zanken recording, you wouldn't get it to that vintage character with plugins or would be really hard effort. And and with microphones, you really can pick up stuff differently. And, and if you do fire, I mean, we record lots of fire and then we want to um, have different flavors later and uh, and microphones uh, are one way for us to get different flavors in the end. So we want to... And then we need microphones that sometimes have some extreme sound quality as well to get a different flavor. And
4: the interesting thing was, I mean, we, we also use this Shure CMC 6 XT, so this extended range um, Shure oh, mic. And it was very interesting to have this besides the Sennheiser ones, because even though the Sennheiser get a little bit higher, um, interestingly, if you pitch it down one octave, the Schöp still sounds fresher. Mm. Like, I don't know, the, the the Sennheiser has more of the really high stuff, but you don't really need this so much. And the Schöp has more the meats in the field where you need it more. And it doesn't has this high pitched noise thing which the Sennheiser yes. always have. Yeah. Yes.
0: Yeah. You know, Sony just put out one also that's uh supposed to have frequency range up to hundred K and it's like nine hundred bucks, which it's an electric condenser. Uh-huh. Yes, I yes I heard it, and I, I'm curious about it just purely off the price point, and also because you know that Sanken one is you know it's it's three times that price, and it's it's still that's a lot of money to pay for an auxiliary mic, you know, for a complimentary mic, yeah, a specialty
3: mm. mic. Um, yes, yeah, it's true. Yeah,
0: <laughs> but but on the other hand, the Sanken
4: mic is very interesting. I mean, really to yeah. capture sound up until 100 kilohertz is really. I mean, it's a little bit. Where where it really gets interesting if you record up to uh, 100 or 80 kHz underwater, like the mics we use for the underwater recording, then it really gets interesting because then you literally have no noise and then you can zoom and zoom in and pitch down, pitch down, pitch down, pitch down, and you just have a clean signal and you get this immense world of what we don't hear.
2: Mm-hmm. And and for Fire, I'd say especially, yeah. uh, so that would be interesting for me, pitching down the Zanken recordings. We were not so into that, because for Fire, what was in the upper frequency ranges, it's uh, m- mainly his and... And that was not so interesting like pitching these down. Okay, what is coming down? It's his coming down. And well, what and was
0: unique to me when I was pitching it down was that it didn't sound like I was pitching it down. It sounded like I was just time stretching it. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Without Pretty any much. pitch happening. That was yeah. the craziest thing to me. I'd never experienced that before. <laughs> And yeah, that's a bit yeah.
4: what this yeah, that's the wonder of the Sanken. Yeah, you pitch it down or right, yeah, and then you think, wow, that's interesting. Did I pitch it down or is this a natural sound?
3: <laughs> I'm hearing yeah. now.
0: So it gave a lot of flexibility as far as like, yeah, the uh, the I guess the volume envelope you could change dramatically with pitch without having it affect your frequency envelope at all. It was it was uh it was surprising to me.
3: It should come in different flavors or so. <laughs> <laughs> Colin, I wanted to talk to you really quick about your process in post-production, because you mentioned earlier that there was lots of birds involved in these recordings, but they're not in the final recordings that are released in the library. So are you a uh, RX ninja or what what were you doing here? How'd you get rid of all these birds?
0: The gators do sound like they're in booths.
1: (laughs) It is a combination of getting really lucky, being really persistent, and some RX uh, massaging as well. So, you know, these birds, they there would be gaps here and there, um, and you use proximity to your uh, advantage. And sometimes we would get uh, one perfectly clean or with minimal bird noise. And some of these birds are just such a complex sound.
0: Those are some strange birds, James.
1: Especially the mating calls and the, you know, babies and everything that, you're never going to be able to remove it but when rx6 came out i was able to clean up a lot more than ever previously and the other thing is a lot of them were recorded at higher resolutions for some reason rx doesn't tend to make that swishy chirpy sound quite as much with some of that higher resolution stuff so that definitely worked to my advantage the other thing my quote-unquote secret weapon i still I'm uh, a diehard isotope alloy fan. Um, mm. I still use Alloy 2. And f- for these gators, the transient designer built into Alloy 2 did some incredible, incredible work. And the transient designer I actually sometimes use as a, a noise reducer, which works somehow sometimes. But yeah, so my main two plugins were RX Connect and uh, Alloy for that library. Nice. So I, I think the biggest thing though was just the persistence. That's why. My percentage was so low of, of sounds that made it through to the library where uh, the biggest thing was just birds.
3: So how about uh, you guys in Germany? How did you guys deal with post? Did you have to do a lot of cleaning up or did you just kind of top and tail it?
2: Yeah, recording is always a few days, but uh, I don't know. You, you shouldn't feel it when you listen to the library, but we take months for every library. Yeah, for editing, because, of course, it's
4: a lot of yeah. editing, really normal editing stuff, of course, kicking stuff out and so on, and then a lot of RX. Um, not a lot of denoising, mainly, I, I, I never, never I, I think for, never we, we, we never used den, denoising in uh, our latest stuff, or maybe never. Maybe in the so, first like, but... Yes, yeah, I think in the first never. one, but, but we never, so it's more like really... Yeah, copy paste stuff in Rx and um, yeah. and then doing some clever editing stuff. You know, when it gets lower than I don't know, doing there's some mild EQ. It's not heavy, but it's of course because it's also uh, so much. It just takes time. And so many channels. Yeah. So it's not heavy. It's not heavy processing at all. But it's no. trying to do clever stuff so yeah
2: so that you so that we get rid of noises just one example for the massive explosions like we always if we can we we try to take the time we put two limiters on the listen channel like really some like for the explosions you have to because the dynamic range is so high and if you want a clean 15 seconds tail you can't raise up the volume so loud you would blast your speaker so uh, with libraries like this, it started that we have like 40 dB limiting on the listen channel. And then you can sometimes you hear someone still talking like, uh, 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 okay, that was good, but he was really far away or so. Or you, you hear a tiny bird then. And yeah, we want to have that out because yeah. we don't expect someone to have, uh, sometimes, okay, we say, Okay, it doesn't need to be all out like for 40 dB limiting. But we expect like people, uh, if they want to further design the sounds, most of the times you you, you have a limiter on the recording and and first limit it. And, and then there shouldn't come up some unexpected things there. So that takes a lot of time. Yeah, so we
4: are switching forth and back between having a limiter yeah. in the master channel and taking it out and then listening to both ways and... Uh, yes. Just
2: for listen back, uh, I mean, uh, to, to get... Uh, but it's not on the final uh, play out, sure. But yeah. And that was, uh, when we introduced that, it was like really crazy. Okay, now we we listen back like that, put lots of limiting on it and see what, what comes up there. Because I hate it, like when I work on a more... Uh, or worked more on an action-driven movie, you use a lot of limiting before you spot the ta- sounds to produce. And, and then if there's birds or clicks and stuff coming up, it's like, okay, I first have to clean it, then I can limit it, and uh, yeah.
3: Colin?
1: I, I was going to mention that prepping sounds for a library is such a different process than if you were just spotting them into Pro Tools. If you went out and recorded something specifically for a video game or a film that's just going to be used once or twice and... Uh, you're often using you're going to be hiding behind other things a lot of times and you can get away with certain things and uh, with the library editing process you're spending a lot of time making it sound absolutely as clean as possible while simultaneously not letting anyone know that you did that and not limiting options of the people who are going to use it i have a tendency to think of my work as kind of art in and of itself but Uh, the important thing to remember is that nobody goes and just listens to my gator sounds or my you know fire sounds or whatever it's it's you're you're essentially making a really high quality paint for another artist so the the care that goes into making it pristine without anyone noticing it is uh you know i i tend to put a lot of my own flair in my sounds and i have to really work at limiting that because i want someone else to be able to use it however they feel necessary absolutely very well put
0: yeah. It's funny the parallels between that thought process and the dialogue editing process. I ah, wanted to yes. mention
2: that too. Yeah. Yes. It, it it helps.
0: You know, we we just did the dialogue editing roundtable, and you know they, you know, we spent two hours talking about you know making art and Faberge eggs of these recordings, and and the, with the with the primary objective being to create beautiful things that nobody realizes have had this much work done to them, mm-hmm. and it's a very similar headspace. Yeah. Yes, it's interesting.
2: I like uh, audio um, dialogue editing very much. <laughs> no, it, it it helps a lot if you've done that before like dialogue editing and maybe came from a time where dialogue editing was there weren't so much plugin options and that you really were forced to edit a lot of stuff and uh, with that background somehow it's very often that with with editing uh, you can do a lot of things first without Changing anything on the, yeah, I mean, every plugin processing also is, is for library, not, not good because the people who use it later, they will add plugins on it and uh, they, they want something where it's not all, already a lot of. Yeah, it it loses its freshness. And so it, sometimes we, we did some EQ settings and we take them back later. It, it, that's the same, like with dialogue editing, you do some work and, uh, and, and reverse it later, maybe. And
1: yeah, I think that's one of the most nerve wracking parts of building a library to me is when I make an edit, it's like, all right, I, I really like this right now. Am I tired? Am I grumpy? You know, am I, if I save this and forget about it later, will I hate it later? and just being able to backtrack those those little settings and
2: maybe you've already done it to a couple of sounds and think later oh all these sounds uh yeah it's it's always the brain uh, as well at that moment in time you found it good maybe it was loud outside or i, I don't know what happened before you made a decision that day and yeah, there was sound it's always different
4: yeah and, but it's very for uh, for i mean it's it's always if you're doing the editing, Tillman and me, and after we after we did the editing, we give the edited sounds to the other person. So I give mine yeah. to Tillman, and Tillman gives my uh, gives his sounds to, to me. And then we sit there maybe days and just listening to what the other did and just making, and making huge comments. lists of comments. We say, no, why do you have done this, this, and there's a <laughs> click, and there you still did this. So we really, it's... It, and then you hate the
0: other person. How are you still still friends after that? <laughs> you hate the other in this moment. You think, oh my f- god! My-. And yes, but that's a great thing,
4: you know. And and also to listen to all the sounds the other edited again. Listen in in every single channel, you know. I think
2: with first libraries we we had like discussions about. <laughs> things like these. And now we are more used to that. And if you worked on films, you are used to that. I mean, if the director comes and says he doesn't like it, it never helps if the director says he likes it. And then maybe a day before the mix or they replaced you or something like it's uh, like with, with, with film work, you, you, I mean, both of us worked on films and that's where it started that you really got uh, critics about your work and yeah it's painful but uh, it's It's healthy necessary and very good for the product (laughs) for the library it's good maybe it would make more fun to just make yeah record it make a few edits and release
3: it but yeah it's well as an end user of your libraries i really appreciate you guys driving each other nuts so that I, <laughs> yeah. I it's, uh, I
0: work with. yeah but seriously yeah. the work that you guys have done i mean it really shows through in all of these libraries that we're talking about it they're they're impressive works of art they're impressive feats from top to bottom and um they're super cool um, I'm, I'm just as, as i dig through you. them you know more and more and some of them you know they become staples like you know when I have and when anything electric happens on screen ever, I know exactly where I'm starting. I mean that's the that's the, that's your electricity library, and so you know those things because of the effort and the and the work that goes into it, they they survive the test of time. They survive other things that come out, and they uh, they become real staples in in a lot of people's workflows.
3: Thank you.
0: Thanks a lot. I got a quick story before we wrap up that uh,
3: when I got the Gator library. Uh, That day, I was on a mix stage, Uh and it it was a break between uh, working on the mix, and so I downloaded it, and I started listening to it, and within the mix stage, I was the only one in there when I started doing that, and just as I played the files, just people's heads kept popping, what is that, what is that, what are you playing there, (laughs) and then someone else popped in, what is that? Play that again. Play that again. And like th- just by the time I was done auditioning there was like six other engineers in the room. And we were all like almost high-fiving yeah. each other like, "Oh my god, I know where I'm going to use that. Oh, this is amazing." And that's awesome. The uh the thing that we talked about a lot was that although it will be great for creature design, uh, a lot of us were thinking that it would be cool for sci- sci-fi vehicle design as well. The Gators oh, yeah. they yeah. have a like a sputtering sound to it that
1: yep. they, and there's a cool natural envelope there for sure. Uh, And I always told people it's like, it's not just for creatures, it's for fire, it's for explosions, it's for cars, it's for whatever. It's just a cool texture. Yeah, Yeah, it's totally cool
3: texture. I had a similar situation when I was listening to the raging fire library where the first time I heard in the car burning when I first heard the tire explode, I got up, left the room I was working in and got the guy next door, brought him in. And was like,
2: <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> awesome.
0: Yeah, I did, th- I did that. So um, when I got when I got that fire library and I had a, a promo coming down for the Rangers and it was nothing but fire wrapped around the screen. And of course, Rudnett Odor punching... You know, no, a, uh, a, a Toronto Blue Jay in the face, and <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I had to send Tim a picture of that. But yeah, that was um, that was like an immediate use as soon as it came in. Awesome!
2: That's what we never never experienced, like how it really gets you. Sometimes you watch a movie and think like, ah, maybe or so, but yeah, the stuff is edited.
0: Fire is so hard. Anytime I see fire on the screen, I dread yeah. it. And and for this particular, you know, 30-second promo, it, it it just zoomed by because I had all the tools I needed right in front of me. It was so great. Awesome. Awesome. Oh, thank you.
3: So for the people listening, uh, if you want to look into any of these libraries, we'll have links on our page on tonebenderspodcast.com. Thanks a lot, everybody, for taking part. We really appreciate it. Thanks a lot for having us. Thanks a lot. Yes, thank you. Awesome.
2: Thank you. It was great. Thank you.
0: Thanks to everyone who listens and participates in the show. Thanks to Emil Tillman and Colin for jumping on and sharing your thoughts about those awesome libraries. You guys were great for jumping on with us. You can follow the show at the Tonebenders. Go to tonebenderspodcast.com to leave a comment. You can support the podcast by shopping at tonebenderspodcast.com slash Amazon or tonebenderspodcast.com slash BH. Also want to throw a shout out to Natasha Haycox for some massive editorial help in this particular episode. Natasha is a mixer at Lucky Cat Post in London. She is a passionate sound designer and people person. You can follow her on Twitter at E-N underscore N-E-E-M. Thanks everyone. We'll see y'all later.
3: See ya. Thanks everybody.
1: Thank Thanks you. Bye-bye. Thank yeah, Thanks for listening to Tone Better. You can
4: find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. If you listen on iTunes or Stitcher, please write us a review while you're there. The show, go to ToneBendersPodcast.com and click through our Amazon link or leave us a tip. You can also download and listen to our entire show archive there, and leave a comment on our site or on SoundCloud. Keep up to date by following at the Tone Vendors on Twitter or find Tone Vendors Podcast on Facebook. Email us with your questions and ideas at info at tonebenderspodcast.com.